Welcome to Every Texan Talks, the legislative update hosted by Every Texan, where our policy experts and political insiders cut through the noise at the Texas legislative session, break down what's happening at the Capitol, and why Texans should care. Hi, this is Marisa Bono, CEO of Every Texan, and I'm sitting here in the Capitol close to the rotunda with Luis Figueroa, our Chief of Legislative Affairs, and Jaime Puente, our Senior Policy Analyst on the Legend Policy Team. Hey, you two. How are you doing this morning? Good. 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 We had a nice event last night, a legacy. It was nice to celebrate, but here we are, back at work. That's right. We had our annual fundraiser last night. Um, Good showing. It was really good to all be together in person and celebrate how far we've come. We just finished our third special session this week, and here we are back again. Why are we back here today? (laughs) Well, so they've now called us back for the fourth special session. Uh, I think one of the folks last night mentioned this is uh, for football analogy. It's fourth and goal. Um, They've tried three times and have failed on a number of these issues, uh, and they're going for it one more time. Um, And so the governor has issued a new proclamation. It actually started at 5 p.m. at the end of the last um, third special session. Um, So now we're a few days into it, um, and uh, we're here for hearings in both uh, in the House and the Senate. Um, so yeah, we can go over the proclamation and talk about those issues if you want. Yeah, that sounds good. What was on the proclamation? It came out yesterday, right? Yes, um, so the, yeah, the proclamation came out at uh, 5 p.m. on Tuesday. Um, so I guess that was two days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uh, included um, the vouchers, as one might expect, the, uh, the holy grail for the governor <laughs> who keeps trying to, uh, try to get it after that. It has been pretty elusive for him, <laughs> has. hasn't it? Yeah. Um, and then he also included issues around um, school finance um, and school um, safety, and I'll let Hyman talk about some of that. Uh, and then also the immigration issues that have also um, continuously been being defeated, uh, including the penalty for reentry um, and um, funding for border uh, operations and, and barriers. Yeah, so just a quick refresh for folks who are still learning about our legislative session. The governor, after our general session, which happens every two years, the governor can call a special session, which lasts for 30 days, and he issues what's called a proclamation. And that sets the confines for what can be discussed and debated during the special session. It's sort of like the agenda for the special session, and legislators can't go outside of the agenda when they're thinking about what bills they want to pass. And something interesting about this proclamation is unlike last round, we see school finance and we also see school safety. Last round, the governor said that he would not even entertain those issues unless he got his voucher program. And now we've seen a little bit of an evolution on that front. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts, you know, Jaime, Luis, what are your thoughts on that transition? <clears throat> I think it shows uh, that the governor's finally realizing that Texans want fully funded or at least some kind of funded public education. You know, they're not willing to take his his bad deal of, you know, of taking money away from schools before even considering, um, you know, the financing, the things that we know we need, that we know our teachers, our students, our schools need. Yeah, that's right. I mean, absolutely. He tried to issue an ultimatum with the House. The House said, um, no, we're not moving your bill until you uh, start adding funding to the issue. So he's at least opened the door to a discussion now, um, now that the 
both of them are on the proclamation. Uh, with that said, I, I still don't think there's an appetite for vouchers, even with the funding. Yeah, so so important to remember that vouchers um, siphon money away from our public school system. We have a attendance-based uh, school funding system, or we have a very complicated formula, but at the end of the day, when you're siphoning students away from the system, you're also siphoning, siphoning away funds. I think a lot of legislators are also finally realizing that this is a can of this is a can of worms. It might start small, but as we've seen with border security spending, a program that starts small can really balloon without a lot of accountability. And that's certainly the case here, right? When we're talking about ESAs, uh, we're talking about public funds being used without a whole lot of accountability. Exactly. So, you know, once again, in HB1, we have a fully universal voucher that is open to current private school students. And the judging from the fiscal note that, that um, was released by the committee this morning, uh, you know, the as you say, we expect the voucher bill to balloon uh, to nearly five billion dollars in the second year that mm. it that it's created. And you know, I haven't had a chance to look at, at the entire fiscal note, but you know, by our calculations, you know, we updated, if you remember, we, we did some calculations the, the first time around about a month ago, showing the loss to school districts. Well, you know, with, a, with the, the new money um, that is being proposed under HB1, districts would not even get half with after, after the voucher, you know, with 5% usage of a voucher, districts wouldn't even get half of what they're being offered by the new money for schools mm -hmm. in HB1. And it's a little bit of a bait and switch. Exactly. You know, and that's not, and that's not including the, you know, what's going to happen at, at the, in the next biennium. So we're going to spend this money now to, to um, give schools what they've needed, and it's not even what they need to get through this biennium. All it is is getting us up to uh, really what uh, about 2021 levels of spending and so we we won't we won't even get to meet current inflation by the end of this biennium with what's being offered in HB1 and so next year next time next session when these members come back they're gonna have to again try and meet with current inflation while also financing the ever-growing voucher that we know is going to balloon like it has in every other state this is all feeling like a little a little too little too late and i i'd love to hear a little bit more uh we developed a tool for the public to use for elected officials and their staff to use this session so that we can see what's happening to public dollars if the voucher programs goes into place can you tell us a little bit more about that Yes, uh, so we created a tool um, that shows the cost of a, of a voucher to local school districts and to you know, the, um, all the school districts and, and state house representative or senator's districts, really showing that what would happen if 1%, 3%, or 5% of their students were to leave the district um, and use a voucher. And so what that means is that the, the state funding that they would expect to get for those students would be taken out of the district. They would lose it no matter what. As long as 1%, 3%, or 5% of students use that, the school district loses that amount of money. And we know, especially in small and rural districts, any amount of money that they lose, you know, they like just just because they lose that money doesn't mean that they don't have to pay the teachers, they don't have to pay the bills to run the school just like they did before. So this is gonna this is gonna devastate schools across the state. 
Hey, with border security spending, we've seen the governor transfer money over towards border security, border funding efforts away from other state agencies without legislative authority. And we've seen that happen repeatedly in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the order of even millions of dollars, um, if not more, is it, once this program is in place, would is is the the same type of mechanism still there? Would it open the door? Um, would it create the ability for the governor to transfer more money over without legislative authority? Yeah, I think we've opened that Pandora's box um, at this point. Um, so the governor last uh, biennium during the interim felt he wanted more money for his Operation Lone Star operation uh, and did a transfer from the Texas Criminal Justice uh, Commission and um, and did that unilaterally without legislative intent. Um, you know, the whole point of the legislature, the most important thing they're supposed to do is set the budget, set the priorities based on what their constituents have asked for and what their priorities are. Uh, and the governor circumvented that process by um, doing budget transfers through his executive authority. So yes, it's the door has been opened there. He could do that for vouchers. He could do it again for Operation Lone Star. Um, so we um, definitely are concerned that even if the deal is made of a deal is you know offered that says oh we're only going to spend this amount of money there's no guarantees the governor will even honor that yeah not feeling a whole lot of uh, trust in this political environment and on that note when we're talking about undermining the voice of the people when we're talking about undermining our legislative process we've seen some pretty unusual steps taken this week when it comes to the the hearings that are happening i want to get to the the border items on the proclamation before we do can you tell us a little bit more about some of the procedural uh eye-opening happenings that we've seen this week yeah um so one of the things that we're seeing is you know everybody wants to go home for thanksgiving no one believes that we should be here in november talking about the things that we're talking about and so you have um the the senate meeting today without posting without doing the normal without posting what without posting for for the committee so usually under normal rules um the committees are supposed to post at least 24 hours to let the public know what they're going to talk about which bills are going to talk about or or, or topics etc and so we didn't get that and so um rumors have it um you know capitals are are rife with rumors we hear that the Senate is going to um, suspend rules, suspend um, all rules that are necessary to meet today, vote these bills out without public comment, without public testimony, and and pass them. And without public knowledge, really. Without public knowledge, without, you know, it's like there's there's a lot of things going on today. And Luis can, can talk more about it because he's our, our, our Senate uh, guru. But, um, you know, this is, this is a wholly unconstitutional way of passing... Uh, passing legislation in Texas, and it's eliminating the public from having any say over what's going to affect their daily lives, not just in the next two years, but in the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah, so, you know, the Senate's going to make the argument, well, we've been hearing these during the interim and the regular session. We don't need to hear from testimony anymore. But the reality is the bills are different. You know, HB 1 uh, is, a, is a new deal, um, and is the Senate going to respond to that? And on the immigration front, they released a new bill as well. It's a new author. It's going to be, uh, we hear it's going to be in a new committee, um, and it's got different language. Um, and when it comes to the constitutionality of these bills, which is very much in question, um, they 
they are, are not doing the due process of hearing from the experts, right? We've been having yeah. a lot of immigration experts, lawyers, constitutional experts explain to them why these bills are problematic. Uh, and by circumventing this, um, you know, they're basically sticking their, hand, their, their heads in the sand by, by saying, well, we don't want to hear it, you know, closing their ears. Um, and so what we understand is at 3 o'clock today, um, they're going to suspend all posting rules for committee notice. Um, they're going to have an emergency committee hearing and pass these bills out and then suspend all the bills, all the rules wow. to bring up the bills on the floor today wow. and then vote out the bills on the floor today all in one sweeping motion um, without any public testimony or notice. I mean, just to give sense of, of just to give folks a sense of how unusual this is, has he, um, the special session was just, the fourth special session was just called this week. This is the first day of hearings? Yes, right? this is the first day, that's yesterday. right, first day appearance. And then right here, here we are on the first day and these bills, some of which are brand new, are already on the floor. That's what we're hearing, Have yeah. you ever seen anything like this? You've been doing this a while, Louise, Jaime. Have you all ever seen anything like this? Yeah, I mean, the Senate has at times moved bills very quickly. You know, that's not rare, but it never usually have at a, the end of session, though. Usually after at the end of session. Been vetted when and debated. That's right. When mm -hmm. a bill's already been heard in one uh, chamber and they've already had uh, an initial hearing. Um, and so to move all these bills in one day... Um, is, is really quite unprecedented, especially the nature of these bills. These aren't like little tweaks, right? This is a, a giant voucher scheme that's, you know, going to millions of dollars, um, you know, potentially billions uh, at some point. And then, uh, you know, a huge upheaval of our federal immigration system. Um, so, you know, these are not things to be taken lightly that should be just passed without any consideration. I think Luis is exactly right, because one of the things that, that you know, I think Texans should really remember in this entire process is that you know, not, their voice is getting cut out of the decision-making process, which would ultimately, in, in terms of public education, it's going to cut Texans um, out of their opportunity to vote for local school boards, to vote for local districts when mm -hmm. these vouchers go into effect and, um, you know, because you, you don't vote for a, a voucher company. No one's going to vote for the third, third party organization that determines which students get access to these vouchers, whether or not they're, they're current private school students or the so-called needy, you know, impoverished um, student that, you know, are being used to sell this, this legislation. And so Texans are getting cut out. And it's it's shameful yeah really important to remember that a lot of proponent voucher proponents talk about this being quote-unquote universal school choice that every texas student should have the ability to choose where they go to school but the reality is that the program that is is being proposed i mean it would really i i don't know if it's going to be a lottery system or what but we're talking about a very very small fraction of the 5.5 million public school students that we have in this state. Do you think that message is penetrating? Do you think that's getting through? Do people understand? I'm, it's What is it, like 57,000 kids that we're talking? Or am I off on those numbers? Um, so in HB1, it's currently limited to uh, a $500 million appropriation. And, you know, it's funny that you were talking about the, the um, governor transfers and using his mm -hmm. power to transfer money from one agency to another. Mm -hmm. Well, the current version of HB1 that the House um, is going to be talking about today 
does not give the, the governor that authority. Mm. Like the, you know, the uh, chairman Buckley ex puts it in his bill, uh, explicitly denying the governor that authority okay. precisely because he knows that He's the worried. governor yeah. would make that transfer. Okay, didn't realize that. Yeah, okay. so, the, so, there, so there's, it's a, you know, it's... <laughs> At least we, we're learning as we stumble along, I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, and that's, that's uh, so that's a, a change in this version of the bill, but that doesn't mean, you know, so to your question about how many students are, are going to be affected with this current version, they're expecting the voucher to be about $10,000, which is more than what we saw last time. Mm -hmm. And so that means even less students less are, are going to be um, supported. And with the, you know, we know that, that uh, private schools are already itching to advertise this to their current students. So with current private school students being allowed into the bill, we know, you know, that it's not going to help any public school students. So, so, yeah, I think the point here, right, is it's the private schools that make the decisions, not the parents, right? We hear, oh, it's right. the parents' choice. No, it's the private it's a choice. private school choice, yeah. and they can decide that they're going to give it to their current students. Is basically what I'm hearing Hyman say, or you know, they can pick and cherry pick the students that they're going to want. I know there's some limitations on some of that, mm -hmm. but um, ultimately, it's the private schools that make the decision whether to accept and remove students, right? Mm -hmm. So even, uh, you know, I, as I was someone who went to a Catholic school, and I've seen kids get kicked out of Catholic mm -hmm. schools for minor behavioral issues or for different things, not being a great generation. Yeah, some things like that mm -hmm. as well. That's right. That's a good point. So it's not the ultimate choice is not the parents. It's the school. Mm. So I, I know both of you are providing testimony today. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I would like to finish up uh, just by talking about the immigration bills because... Yeah. I feel that with all the public debate on vouchers, there hasn't been the same level of public scrutiny on these bills and what's happening. Uh, I, uh, any any thoughts on that, Luis? Can you, yeah. you mentioned that the bill is, is substantially different. It's in a different committee. We'd right. love to hear your so, thoughts. So, you know, they've been trying to get this unlawful entry bill passed by creating a misdemeanor for uh, unlawfully crossing the, the border. Uh, there's already a federal law. Um, and the bills have had many iterations. At one point, there was an attempt to try to get DPS officers to take the border migrants back to a port of entry and almost like dump them at the bridge and wow. say, go back, um, which was clearly unpractical, unconstitutional, inhumane, and was, and was never going to have any deterrent effect. So what they've done now is they put it in the hands of magistrate judges, judges, and which includes like justice of the peace that don't oh even have law God. degrees, right? Um, and these judges are now forced with no discretion to make an order to return migrants back um, to the border um, if they essentially plea out. If they say, well, I don't want to get prosecuted for this, I'll return. Um, or if they get convicted, they will also get um, ordered back to a port of entry. So all of this is very much you know, in the lines of unconstitutional and supremacy clause of the Constitution. It's surely to be litigated. Uh, but I think what's, what's important here to notice is that there was opposition to this removal provisions, not just from the Democrats, from constitutional lawyers, from immigration lawyers, and all the, and all the Democrats. There was opposition from Republicans, uh, including the chairman of the Border Security Committee, wow. who is a former lieutenant colonel, one of the most conservative members there is in the, in the Texas Senate, um, had very big concerns about this provision. So what happens? Did they work with him? Did they figure out some way to compromise? No, they iced him out. He is no longer the author of the bill. 
It's no longer going to his committee. Wow. It is now going to be offered by Senator Perry, who, you know, the no disrespect, he's a CPA. Wait a second. Yeah, no military experience, <laughs> doesn't, his district doesn't, isn't on the border. He has no um, constituency along the border um, and, uh, you know, has no, you know, law enforcement or military experience um, with any of this. Uh, not a lawyer. Um, and so I'm very concerned that uh, we are going with the you know, least um, qualified way to do this um, and, and just sticking our, you know, again, as I said, sticking our uh, head in the sand of saying, well, we're just going to do this without listening to anybody. Um, and, even, and our, that, even our own. Even that's our also own. Highly that's unusual. right. That's yeah. right. I think that that's, that's one of the most dangerous parts about this fourth called session is that the governor, the lieutenant governor, and their, their hand-picked lieutenants in the House. We, um, we are talking about a fourth special session that is trying to pass wholly unconstitutional laws by disregarding basic democratic norms. You know, we are, we are, so we're so used to suspending constitutional rules in the Senate um, that, you know, we're not even playing by, like, the basic, like, friendship rules of what, you know, member-to-member kind of courtesies that, you know, are normally um, the way things operate in, in the legislature. It's like, you know, Luis was talking about um, Senator Birdwell's bill, you know, that he's been working on all year long. We're talking about legislation that he's been working on since early February. And, and this is something that, you know, he has been very particular about the language that he uses in, in describing, you know, what he's trying to do. Um, he's been very particular about the ways in which he has um, regarded his his oath and his and his um, his allegiance to the U.S. Constitution. You know, he this man this man was at the Pentagon on 9/11 and has burns all over his body because of the service he gave to the U.S. Constitution. And right now, H HB4 and SB4 are violating intentionally violating the. Um, supremacy of our constitutional norms. Uh, talk about kismet as you were um, singing Senator Birdwell's praises. He walked by. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Okay, I got chills. Um, so I am I'm really fascinated by this suspension of, you know, like you, I think the way you phrased it, the suspension of norms. Uh, and what that means, uh, it's sort of like, are we a system of law and order or not? Like, who do we, who do we want to be? And frankly, whether it's on vouchers, some of these immigration proposals, seeing these moments where Democrats and Republicans are working together and coming together, it seems like that's the type of policy making, um, the type of collaborative decision making that we would want as a state. And there are these procedural decisions being made that actively thwart that yeah. and dissuade that. And certainly that's the against the interest of us as, as Texans. This is on top of all the things that have already happened, right? We used to have a process where two-thirds of the Senate could block a bill coming to the floor and they would be forced to compromise and talk to each other. They already did away with that. 
This is on top of the process where we used to have, you know, point of orders mm -hmm. that were respected in the Senate for procedural defects and for issues that may come. Those are no longer honored in the Senate. So it's just layering on. It's layering on, layering on, and we're just really seeing the erosion of democracy. Um, and, you know, what happens is you end up getting bills that are not well thought out, are blatantly unconstitutional, um, and are not in the public interest. And, and are not incorporating the voices of those most impacted or those most knowledgeable, right. especially right. uh, when it comes to immigration, the immigration experts. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The constituency, all the border reps and senators um, are all being ignored throughout this whole process. The very constituency that are going to be impacted the most. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, that's what we're headed towards. And honestly, that's what you get in special sessions in the fourth time around. Yep. Um, at this point, everyone's exhausted. Everyone's just exhausted. Wants to go home. And now they're just ramrodding bills through without going through the process. What a mess. Uh, crisis of leadership for sure. So let's close. Uh, I would like for each of you to tell me where you're testifying today and then offer any closing thoughts you have. Yeah, so I'll be testifying in the House State Affairs Committee hearing because they're actually taking testimony on HB4. <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> Good job, Good House. Job. Um, so I'll be testifying on that with a lot of uh, our fellow immigration attorneys and um, advocates, ACLU and Texas Civil Rights Project. Um, and, um, and then uh, we'll see what happens in the Senate, but they're not allowing any testimony in the Senate. So I'll be watching that as well as best I can in their opaque process. Mm. So I will be um, talking more about, you know, the breaking norms. Um, we are going to be talking about a public education bill, not in the House Public Education Committee, but in the uh, Select Committee on Educational Opportunity. Um, and again, talking about the voucher bill. And we'll be just reminding the members that this is a wholly unconstitutional um, and very limited way of addressing the, the very severe problems and it actually doesn't even address at all the problems that we're facing in public education it's really just a handout to private school parents yeah okay hey shout out to you to both of you to our team to our partners uh this legislators and their staff aren't the only ones who are exhausted it's uh the folks who are leading this fight and just truly hats off to you Go get them. Hold the line. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you think could benefit from it. Give us a follow and a thumbs up, and we'll see you next time. And that wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks to our guests. And as always, check out everytexan.org for more information about our work and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.